We meet today in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 to verse 13. This is the call and the commission of Isaiah to the prophetic office. Chronologically, as well as logically, the book of Isaiah should begin with this chapter, which constitutes the crisis in the life of Isaiah and brings him into the prophetic office. Prior to this, we have no record of his life or his relationship to God. His ministry began at the death of King Uzziah. Isaiah apparently chose first to record the heart of his message and then to present his call to the prophetic ministry a little later. Now here is the vision of the Lord seen by Isaiah. In verses 1 to verse 4, we see the time, the place, the person, the glory and the holiness of the Lord in the vision as seen by Isaiah. Now I want you to notice the time, the place and the person. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1. So what is the time in the year that King Uzziah died? The place sitting on his throne, the glory, the train of his robe filled the temple. And of course, who is the person? The glory and the holiness are all seen in that. But who is the person? It is the Lord sitting on the throne. Now, you see, Isaiah opens this chapter on a very sorrowful note, taking us to the funeral of Uzziah. Uzziah had been a good king. Now he is dead. It is now the belief of many people that he was the last great king of the southern kingdom of Judah, and that after his death, the glory of the Lord was no longer to be seen. Uzziah brought the Philistines, the Arabians, the Ammonites into subjection. He had ruled for 52 years, and the nation had been blessed materially during that period according to God's promise. Now when Uzziah died, the national glory of Israel died out too with King Uzziah. In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah is now thinking to himself, Good King Uzziah is dead, and the things are going to be bad now. Israel will be taken captive, prosperity will cease. A depression will come and famine will follow. You see, in that frame of mind, Isaiah does what every person ought to do. He goes into the temple. That was a wise decision. As he was depressed about the death of Uzziah, he went to the temple. He goes to the proper place, the proper place where he could meet with God. My friend, when you are in a valley, where do you go to? Do you go to the temple? The psalmist Asaph, when he got perplexed about the prosperity of the wicked while the righteous seemed to suffer, he went to the sanctuary, he went to the right place, and there he understood. Psalm 29 verse 9 says, In his temple everyone speaks of his glory. You see, in God's temple, Isaiah makes the discovery that the true king of the nation is not dead. Even though 
good king Uzziah had died. When Isaiah went into the temple, he discovered he did not need to be in gloomy state. He did not need to be distressed. He did not need to even go into a depression. Why? The true king of the nation is not dead. This is why he said, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. You see, my friend, God is on the throne. Isaiah experienced a theophany here. What he saw is not God himself. It is an appearance of God, which is a temporary yet physical manifestation of God. The chief importance of the theophany is its revelation of God or its unfolding of a divine message, while its physical aspects are merely to enhance and authenticate the revelation. So, Isaiah did not see the physical form of God. John 1 verse 18 tells us no one has ever seen God. So what did Isaiah see? He experienced a manifestation of his glory in a human form. Now Isaiah has already told us not to put our confidence in man whose breath is in his nostrils when a man exhales. He doesn't know for sure that he ever will be able to inhale again. And man can have a heart attack and die just like that. Don't put your confidence in man. King Uzziah, that old good king, is dead. Yes, it is true. And the throne looks pretty brick right now. But behind the earthly throne is the heavenly throne. Isaiah sees the Lord sitting upon a throne. Here was Isaiah coming before God, mourning over the death of the good king Uzziah, almost saying, now we have a vacuum created, and God showed him, there is no vacuum, I am still on the throne. Oh, my friend, that is a vision that some of God's people need to see today. I see no reason for being pessimistic. Sometimes we think human governments have failed us. But let us remember, God is on the throne. In fact, this is the greatest day in the history of the world. I would rather live right now than in any other period, my friend. When Isaiah goes into the temple, he finds that the Lord is still on the throne. And some of us need to be reminded that God is still on the throne in our day. He still hears and answers prayers, my friend. He is still doing wonderful things. Isaiah also makes another discovery when he goes into the temple. My friend, it is important to go into the temple. What did Isaiah find? He finds out that God is high and lifted up and that his train fills the temple. That is the second thing we need to discover about God. God is high and lifted up. And he will not compromise with sin. We cannot treat him like an old man. Old man who cannot do anything about our sinful way. He is highly exalted. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. Isaiah 6 verse 2. Now seraphim are around the throne of God. This is one of the few mentions of these created intelligences in, in Scripture. Now, practically nothing is known concerning them. 
Seraphim means to burn. It is the word used in connection with the sin offering and judgment. Apparently, the seraphim are in contrast to the cherubim. The seraphim search out sin, and the cherubim protect the holiness of God. Never is the word seraph connected with the sweet incense or sweet silver offering, those offerings which speak of the person of Christ. So the seraphim is active and the cherub is passive. We find both of them in the book of Ezekiel and Revelation as the living creatures. The seraphim in Isaiah's vision are protecting the holiness of God. He is high and lifted up. My friend, God will not compromise with sin. I thank him for that. He will not compromise with evil in your life nor in my life. Because evil and sin have brought all the sorrows in this world, my friend. Sin is that which puts gray in the hair. Sin is that which creates the frail state and the stooped shoulder. Sin is that thing that breaks up homes and leaves and fills the grave. I am glad that God does not compromise with sin. God says that he hates sin and he intends to destroy it and remove it from this universe someday. Today our God is moving forth uncompromisingly, unhesitatingly, undeviatingly against sin. He intends to drive sin from this universe. That is what God says. He is high and lifted up, my friend. You and I are going to have to bow down before him. When Isaiah saw God on the throne, it brought him down upon his face. Oh, how desperately the church needs another vision of God, not just of his love, but even of his holiness and righteousness, because God is holy. He moves in judgment against sin. He is angry against sin, and he will punish those who engage in it. He says he will. He is highly exalted. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Isaiah 6 verse 3. Now, this pictures the holiness and the glory of God. He is high and lifted up. And if we would see him today in that position, we would be delivered from law living. We would not walk in sin. It would also deliver some people from this easy familiarity that they seem to have with Jesus. Jesus is treated like a body. They talk of him as if he were a body and as if they could speak to him in any way they please. That's not how we approach the Lord, my friend. You come to the Father through Jesus Christ. This is the only way he can be approached. You can never come into the presence of the Father because of who you are. You come into his presence because you are in Christ. The Lord Jesus made this very clear when he said, No man comes to the Father except through me. If you are a child of God, you can come with boldness to the throne of grace, but you cannot come to him on any other basis, my friend. Not with your works, not with anything that you had done. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. Isaiah 6 verse 4 
The voice of him who cried out is the voice of the seraphim as they proclaim God's holiness. Holy, holy, holy. What effect is this going to have now on Isaiah? Listen to him. So I said, Woe to me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah 6 verse 5. You see, Isaiah was God's man before he had this experience, but it still had a tremendous effect upon him. The reaction of Isaiah to such a vision is revolutionary here. He sees himself as he really is in the presence of God, an undone person. It reveals to him his condition. When he had seen God, he could see himself. Now the problem with many of us today is that we don't walk in the light of the word of God. If we did, we would see ourselves properly. That is what John is talking about in the first chapter of his first epistle. First John chapter 1 verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we walk in the light of the word of God, we are going to see exactly what Isaiah saw, that we are undone, men of unclean lips. You have never really seen the Lord, my friend. If you feel that you are worthy or you merit something or have some claim upon God, we are undone. I am undone. Only on the merit of the finished work of Calvary do we approach the throne of God's grace. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the thongs from off the altar. Isaiah 6, verse 6. Now this live call has come from the bent altar where sin had been dealt with. In the next chapter we will see the prediction of the birth of Christ, but it is not the incarnation of Christ that saves us. It is his death upon the cross. For this reason, Isaiah needs the live call from off the bent altar, which is symbolic of Christ's death. This living call represents the cleansing blood of Christ that keeps on cleansing us from all sin. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this has touched your lips and your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. Isaiah 6 verse 7. Now Isaiah is a man of unclean lips and the condition for cleansing is confession. First John chapter 1 verse 9 tells us, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, I believe it would be more accurate to say that this glowing call is symbolic of none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. He was the one high and lifted up on the throne and he was the one lifted up on the cross. It is absolutely essential that he be lifted up because he came down to this earth and became one of us that he might become the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so the lips of this man Isaiah are cleansed. Now I take it that this act of putting the core 
on his lips was just an external manifestation of what happened in the inner man, like baptism. It was what proceeds out of the heart of a man that goes through the lips. And when the lips are cleansed, it means that the heart is cleansed also. There was a man in the New Testament who also was undone. His name was Paul, and he cried out in Romans chapter 7 verse 24, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? When Paul said this, he was not a lost sinner but a saint of God, learning the lesson from God that he needed to walk in the Spirit because he could not live for God by himself. Living for God can only be accomplished, my friend, by divine grace. Man's responsibility is to confess his sinfulness and his inability to please God. Therefore, we need to have the redemption of Christ applied to our lives again and again on a daily basis. After Isaiah's lips are cleansed, something else happens. Also, I heard the voices of the Lord saying, whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. Isaiah 6, verse 8. You see, Isaiah heard God's call, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? I don't need to call your attention to the fact that you have both the singular and the plural in this verse, and I believe it sets forth the Trinity, Isaiah's response here was, Here am I, send me. Isaiah heard God's call for the first time and responded to it, as a cleansed individual will do. There are too many people today who are asked to do something in the church who first of all ought to get cleansed and straightened out with the Lord before they can do anything. They need to have their lips touched with a living call. They need to confess the sins in their lives because their service will be sterile and frustrating until the cleansing has taken place. Having received unconditional forgiveness, Isaiah responds affirmatively and without hesitation to the divine call. Only after his commitment to the call does the Lord reveal the challenge of a particular task here. Now notice the commission of Isaiah. And he said, Go and tell these people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Isaiah 6 verse 9. The message Isaiah is to give is very, very strange. This people means, of course, the nation of Israel. He is going to tell them, Keep on hearing but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of these people fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and convert and be healed. Isaiah 6 verse 10. Now at first glance, it looks as if the prophet is being sent to those who are blind, deaf, and hardened people. But I think I can safely say that God never hardens hearts that would otherwise be soft. You see, God simply brings the hardness of the hearts of people to the surface. He does not make 
the heart hard. He does not make blind the eyes of those who want to see. But apart from his intervention, they would never see. Nothing but the foolish blasphemy of men would say that God hardens or blinds people. See, God in his omniscience knew in advance that the nation would not respond, but would remain indifferent and unrepentant and thus become hardened. The judgment on the nation of Israel did not preclude the repentance of a remnant, as Isaiah 11 verse 11 will tell us, also verse 12. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 14 to 16, Now thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ, and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one we are the aroma of death leading to death, and to the other the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? You see, my friend, the light of the gospel revealed that they were blind and they rejected Christ. He didn't make them blind, but he only revealed what was inside of themselves, blinding themselves, refusing to hear. And that is what God will simply do, my friend. Don't think that God will blind you, will make you blind. Don't think that God will harden your heart. He will show clearly that you are hard-hearted. This is why he still gives the invitation today. When you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Today is your day of salvation. Repent. You can have copies of the notes and outlines used for these Living Word for Africa programs so you can follow them as you listen. For your copies, please send an email to info at twrafrica.org. Please say which book of the Bible you want them for and be sure to include your name and contact information. Let me repeat that email address for you. Info at twrafrica.org.